Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor, and here with me is my co-host, Eric. Hello. Today, we will be exploring the sinking of Titanic's savior, RMS Carpathia, that sank 104 years ago today in World War I. Before we dive in, we must inform you. This story does include details of a maritime disaster resulting in the sinking of a vessel, wartime violence, and death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Please note, before we begin, that neither Eleanor nor I are mariners or experts in the field of maritime history, but we have done our research and will present the information as we understand it and with accurate nautical terminology. In today's episode, we will be discussing some minor details of the sinking of RMS Titanic as well that may be disturbing to some viewers. Before we get started, we will go over the basics of nautical terminology. The bow is the very front part of the ship, and the very back end of it is called the stern. The port side is the left, and the starboard side is the right. Propellers are sometimes referred to as screws. The hole is the metal side of the ship. The keel is the very bottom of it, and the superstructure is the top deck, usually made of wood. Smokestacks, or funnels, are large tunnels on top of the ship used to direct steam and smoke away from the deck. Masts are large wooden poles on the deck of the ship, usually used to hoist sails or hold a crow's nest where crew members can see for miles around the vessel. Beam is a measurement that refers to the width of the ship. Thanks, Derek. Our story today begins in Walls End, England, in the C.S. Swan and Hunter shipyard. The keel laid on September 10, 1901, in yard number 274, would one day grow to become Cunard Line's transatlantic passenger steamship RMS Carpathia. The ship was built by Swan Hunter and Wiggum Richardson for the Liverpool to Boston route. RMS Carpathia was a single funnel steamship at 558 feet in length with a 64 and a half foot beam and a 34 and a half foot draft. She was equipped with two Walls End Slipway Company quadruple expansion steam engines that powered twin screws and she was capable of reaching speeds up to 15 and a half knots. She weighed in at an incredible 13,555 gross registered tons. Her original capacity was 1,704 passengers, but in 1905 was later increased to 2,550 spread out among three classes, 101st class, 202nd class, and 2,250 third class passengers total. And she was designed primarily with immigrant passengers in mind. Carpathia would be 40 feet shorter than her running mates and be equipped with four cranes in order to handle larger amounts of cargo than typical of ocean liners. Eleanor, why was she called RMS Carpathia? Good question. She was named after the Carpathian mountain range that can be found in Central and Eastern Europe. This mountain range is actually the third longest European mountain range after the Urals and the Scandinavian mountains. The range extends through the Czech Republic, Austria, Slovakia, Poland, Ukraine, Romania, and Serbia. What prompted the construction of the Carpathia? Well, around 1900, Cunard locked horns with White Star Line, North German Lloyd Line, and the Hamburg American Line in stiff competition for the next best ocean liners. At the time, Cunard's largest ocean liners in 1898, RMS Campania and RMS Lusania, had a reputation for both their size and speed. Both held the Blue Ribbon, and just a reminder for everyone, the Blue Ribbon was an award given to liners with the fastest east or west transatlantic crossing. 
Cunard was well known at the time for having fast, efficient crossings and for consistently holding the blue ribbon. Unfortunately for them, North German Lloyd's newest liner, the SS Kaiser Wilhelm der Grossi, took the blue ribbon from Cunard in 1897 and held fast onto it. Meanwhile, White Star Line launched the largest liner they'd ever built, the 17,000 GRT liner RMS Oceanic in 1899. To keep themselves in the game, Cunard ordered the construction of three new sister ships to focus on transporting immigrants, SS Ivernia, Saxonia, and Carpathia, known as the Ivernia class of Cunard liners after their eldest sister. Cunard knew it would be difficult to reclaim the blue ribbon from the remarkably fast SS Kaiser Wilhelm de Grossa, which would hold the blue ribbon until Cunard's RMS Mauritania would reclaim the award in 1906, and they knew it would be nearly impossible to rival White Star Line's enormous RMS Oceanic in size and luxury, so they tried to maximize the profitability with the Ivernia class by remaining incredibly fuel-efficient and appealing to the immigrant class. This model proved effective. Cunard saved money on fuel and made money with the amount of immigrants they were able to ferry across the Atlantic. After her launch on August 6, 1902, she completed her sea trials and was completed in February of 1903. RMS Carpathia made her maiden voyage on May 6, 1903, departing Liverpool, England for Boston, Massachusetts in the United States. Her maiden voyage ran smoothly and also allowed her to run services between New York City and Mediterranean ports like Gibraltar, Algiers, Genoa, Naples, Trieste, and Fiume. She was reliable, comfortable, and efficient, making her profitable and popular for Cunard. Despite the fact that she wasn't the fastest or most luxurious of liners, and that she lacked any form of first-class accommodations until renovations in 1905, RMS Carpathia quickly developed a staunch reputation as a comfortable, reliable ship that could withstand heavy seas and rough weather. This was thanks to her relatively wide breadth-to-length ratio, which was not typical of most ocean liners, as well as the lack of vibrations that were often experienced on faster ships and the usage of what is called bilge keels. Bilge keels are a pair of plates or timbers fastened under the sides of the hull of a ship to provide lateral resistance to the water, prevent rolling, and support its weight in dry dock. They stick out a bit and essentially look like kickstands on a bicycle that run the length of the ship. RMS Carpathia was incredibly popular with tourists and the immigrant class. During the summer months, Carpathia operated mainly between Liverpool and New York City, and in the winter she ran between New York City and the Mediterranean ports we discussed earlier. After partnering with Royal Hungarian Sea Navigation's company Adria in 1904, Carpathia was tasked with primarily carrying Hungarian immigrants. In order to better serve this purpose, she was dry docked for renovations in 1905. This is when first class accommodations were added, as well as increasing her total capacity to 2,550 passengers. In 1912, her typical crew was 300 men, including six officers, and she carried 20 lifeboats. For comparison's sake, Titanic also had 20 lifeboats, but was slated to be able to carry up to 3,547 passengers and crew. This made Carpathia a much safer option to travel. Although, we have not reached the final voyage of RMS Carpathia quite yet. We have reached the final voyage of White Star Liner's RMS Titanic, which Carpathia famously participated in the rescue efforts for. 
Just a reminder to our listeners that the few details of RMS Titanic sinking we will go over will include details of the sinking of a vessel and death that may be disturbing to some, and viewer discretion is advised. Thank you for the disclaimer, Derek. On April 11, 1912, RMS Carpathia departed New York City bound for Fume, Austria-Hungary, which is present-day Rijeka, Croatia. On board Carpathia were many notable passengers, but the one I will primarily discuss is Charles H. Marshall, whose three nieces were traveling the opposite direction toward New York City aboard RMS Titanic. You can only imagine how he felt later on. On the night of April 14, 1912, RMS Carpathia's wireless operator, Harold Cotton, had missed previous messages from the Titanic's wireless operator, Jack Phillips, due to being on the bridge at the time of the transmissions. After finishing his shift at midnight, Cotton decided to continue listening to the transmitter before going off to bed, and it's a good thing he did. He received messages from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, stating that they had private traffic for the Titanic. Private traffic is essentially meaning that Titanic had a clear private line directly to Cape Cod for communications. Harold Cotton wanted to be helpful and transmitted over Marsoni Wireless to Titanic that they had this private traffic with Cape Cod. At 12.11 a.m. on April 15th, roughly 20 minutes into the sinking of RMS Titanic, Cotton received an urgent message of distress from Titanic. In the message, they detailed the fact that they struck an iceberg and requested immediate assistance. Cotton sprang into action and took the message and coordinates to the bridge, presenting the information to Captain Arthur Henry Rostron in his cabin, waking the sleeping captain. Captain Rostron jumped out of bed and gave the order to turn the ship around immediately, diverting toward RMS Titanic with engines full steam ahead with extra lookouts watching for icebergs. He even cut off coal and power that was being used for heating and hot water in order to divert as much speed and power to the engines as he could. Rostron later testified during the inquiry into Titanic's sinking that Carpathia was 58.22 nautical miles, roughly 67 miles on dry land, away from Titanic, and it took three and a half hours to reach her. By this time, as we all know, Titanic was already at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. At this time, Cotton messaged back to Titanic to inform them Carpathia was coming as quickly as possible and were expected to reach them in four hours. Cotton refrained from sending any further messages, keeping the airways clear for distress signals from Titanic. At 2.45 a.m., 25 minutes after Titanic foundered, Carpathia reached the edges of the ice field and pushed past growlers that bumped along the whole plating. Carpathia arrived at the distress call's coordinates at 4 o'clock a.m., a full hour and 40 minutes after Titanic had slipped beneath the waves. 1,496 lives were lost at this point, and Carpathia rescued all 705 survivors from Titanic's 20 lifeboats that bobbed in the frigid North Atlantic waters over the next four and a half hours. Aboard Carpathia, Titanic survivors were given warm blankets, hot food, and coffee, and were gathered in the ship's dining rooms. RMS Carpathia's passengers offered assistance, warm clothing, and words of comfort, as well as some blankets, food, and beverages. They even offered up their beds to the weary survivors, wanting to assist in any way they could. That's incredible. You most certainly wouldn't expect that level of kindness today. It is incredible, especially with this incident increasing their journey surely by at least another week. They didn't mind the inconvenience, and even stood on deck with some of the survivors who surveyed the water as Carpathia slowly made her way around the debris field, hoping to pick up any survivors they'd missed. At 9 a.m., the last of the survivors was loaded onto the ship, and Rostron gave the order to sail away from the scene of the disaster. 
A lot of consideration went into the options of where to disembark the survivors. The Azores was the destination of least cost to Cunard. Halifax was the closest port, although it was through a route laden with ice, and New York City was the original destination for Titanic's passengers. Rostron consulted with J. Bruce Ismay, the chairman of White Star Line at the time, who had survived the sinking, and ultimately they decided upon New York City. News of the sinking and the impending arrival of RMS Carpathia quickly spread to the shoreline, and suddenly RMS Carpathia, an otherwise humble and unknown vessel, was launched into the spotlight. Not only was Captain Rostron a hero, but he was an honorable and gracious man. RMS Carpathia's wireless operators were inundated with messages from other vessels and the press, demanding details of the disaster in exchange for cold hard cash. Captain Rostron refused to give any details, stating that that was for the offices of White Star Line to handle. He instead had Harold Cotton send the details of what had happened to Titanic's sister ship, RMS Olympic, who was also on the ocean at the time. Slowed by fog and heavy thunderstorms beginning Tuesday, April 16th, Carpathia made her way toward New York Harbor, being greeted and escorted by scout cruiser USS Chester on Wednesday, April 17th. On the evening of Thursday, April 18, 1912, in heavy rain, RMS Carpathia made her way into New York Harbor. For the rescue, the crew of RMS Carpathia were awarded multiple medals by the survivors. Crew members were given bronze, officers silver, and Captain Rostron received a gold medal, as well as silver cup presented by the unsinkable Margaret Molly Brown. Rostron was eventually knighted by King George V and was later a guest at the White House for President William Howard Taft, where he would be presented a Congressional Gold Medal. This is the highest honor the United States Congress could bestow upon someone. An underwater mountain in the Fogo Seamount would be named Carpathia Seamount in honor of RMS Carpathia's rescue of Titanic. After the rescue, RMS Carpathia and her captain returned to Liverpool decorated heroes after testifying at both the U.S. Senate and the British Rec Commissioner's inquiries into the Titanic sinking. Captain Rostron would become the Commodore, or lead captain, for Cunard and find himself on different Cunard ships, including RMS Lusitania at one point. His final ship that he commanded for Cunard was the famous RMS Mauritania, nicknamed the Rostron Express by her passengers because of the captain's strict adherence to schedules, and he was even present to see her off to the scrapyard when she was retired in September of 1934, overcome with emotion and refusing to board her, only wanting to see her as she was when he commanded her. Captain Rostron even served in the British Royal Navy Reserve during World War I, becoming Commodore for Cunard shortly after retiring from the Navy. After retiring from a life at sea, he wrote an autobiography titled Home from the Sea. Captain Rostron took ill with pneumonia and passed away on November 4, 1940 at age 71. That isn't the end of RMS Carpathia's story, however. RMS Carpathia was captained by Captain Rostron for a full year after the incident later being captained by Captain William Prothero during her wartime service. As Great Britain entered World War I, RMS Carpathia was one of the many ships requisitioned for wartime service and she was used as a transport ship for Canadian and American expeditionary forces to Europe. During her wartime service, as was customary for many ships, her Cunard-colored red funnel was painted slate gray along with the rest of the ship and she dutifully carried her troops as part of convoys up until July 17, 1918. We are now at the sinking of RMS Carpathia. 
Once again, as a reminder to our listeners, what we're able to discuss does include details of a maritime disaster resulting of the sinking of a vessel, wartime violence, and death that may be disturbing to some, and continued viewer discretion is advised. On July 15, 1918, the Carpathia departed from Liverpool in a convoy bound for Boston, carrying 57 passengers and 166 crew. The convoy was instructed to sail in a zigzag course along with an escort in an attempt to dissuade U-boat attacks. The escort left the convoy early in the morning on July 17th, turning back toward Liverpool, and this left the convoy half its original size. Carpathia continued westward along with the other six ships, and since she was the largest of the bunch, she assumed the title of the Commodore ship. Three and a half hours later, around 9.15 a.m., while in the southwest approaches just off the shores of southwestern Britain, Carpathia's crew noticed a stream of white bubbles heading their direction from the port side. The stream of bubbles followed a torpedo launched from German U-boat SMU-55. Carpathia threw the engines full astern and the helm was turned hard to starboard, but it was too late to avoid the collision with the torpedo. The torpedo hit near hatch number 3 on the port side, followed closely by a second torpedo striking the engine room, instantly killing three firemen and two trimmers. This second torpedo also rendered her engines completely inoperable, and made Carpathia a sitting duck unable to escape. The explosion also severely damaged the electrical gear that powered the wireless radio apparatus and two of the ship's 20 lifeboats. As a result, Captain William Prothero used flags to signal to other ships in the convoy to radio for help over wireless. He then had the crew fire off distress rockets to signal nearby patrol boats and the remaining convoy steamed away to avoid the submarine. Carpathia soon began to settle in the bow and list to the port side and Captain Prothero made the difficult decision that there was no saving Carpathia. He ordered everyone to abandon ship, and all remaining crew and passengers loaded into 11 lifeboats as Carpathia sank. Of the 223 on board, 218 survived. The only casualties were the initial five men killed when the torpedo struck the engine room. As the passengers and crew members disembarked, Captain Prothero, the chief officer, first officer, second officer, and the gunners remained on the sinking ship to facilitate the rescue and to ensure all confidential books and documents were thrown overboard. The captain then signaled for one of the lifeboats to come beside the ship, and him and the remaining crew disembarked. SMU-55 surfaced and fired yet another torpedo into Carpathia near the gunner's room, igniting a massive explosion, sending Titanic's rescuer to the bottom of the ocean. U-55 then turned her attention to the lifeboats of Carpathia bobbing nearby, but before she could do anything, HMS Snowdrop and Azalea-class sloop arrived on the scene and fired upon U-55. SMU-55 escaped by the skin of her teeth, HMS Snowdrop remaining behind to rescue the survivors of RMS Carpathia around 1 p.m. on July 17th. The following evening, on July 18th, HMS Snowdrop arrived back in Liverpool with the survivors on board. Although the ship was lost, due to the quick thinking and bravery of her captain and crew, as many people as possible survived the sinking of RMS Carpathia. American author and diver Clive Cussler who may be familiar to some of you who enjoy the Dirk Pitt novels, discovered the wreckage of Carpathia with his organization NUMA in the spring of 2000. She was discovered at a depth of 500 feet upright on the seabed, approximately 120 miles west of Fastnet, Ireland. 
The wreckage is now owned and protected by Premier Exhibitions Incorporated, formerly RMS Titanic Inc., and the company plans to recover objects from the wreck like they have done with RMS Titanic and other wrecks they own. This episode hopes to commemorate the brave men and women aboard RMS Carpathia as she sank, as well as the brave crew and Captain Rostron, who saved as many lives as they could the night RMS Titanic sank. If you are interested in hearing the story of Titanic's rescue from the man performing it himself, you can find his book, Home from the Sea, by, Ar by Arthur Henry Rostron online, though it is difficult to find a hard copy. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. If you like this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you like this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, please subscribe for more content and leave us a five-star review, as it does help us reach more listeners like you. Tune in next Sunday for the story of Essex, the whale ship that was attacked and sunk by a sperm whale, inspiring the book of Moby Dick. Don't forget to check out our sister podcast, Slasher Saturday. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.